This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about Easter eggs. Yes! I'm very excited for this one. <laughs> yeah, you um, you have a continuing tradition of Easter egg hunts in your family, right? Oh, boy, do I. <laughs> and as we record this, Easter is this coming Sunday. And a lot of you listeners know, because I've talked about it before on the show, I've definitely posted some stories about it. Um, I usually go home um, to visit my mom for an annual Easter egg hunt, and she still hides 42, 42? Easter eggs for me. 42. For- Why 42? I don't know why 42, but we count them every year because every year— me, a grown woman, does this hunt by myself, <laughs> um, and I can't. I there's always one egg I can't find, and I'm determined. I feel like someone's messing with me, and there aren't actually 42 <laughs> eggs. And this year, I was even going to count them myself. Oh wow! But I guess I couldn't know if she removed one. Sure, or if one of your brothers, or, or... exactly. Because it's every year we can't find one, and every time I go home, like to this day, not for Easter, anytime, I go out into the yard and I look for these missing eggs. Because by now, there's a handful of them. Sure. Where could they be? <laughs> but I love, I have always loved Easter egg hunts. I am very competitive. I They had to put in place rules 
when I, I was four years old <laughs> because I would find like all of the eggs. So <laughs> they had to put these rules four. in place. Oh my yes. gosh. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a great picture from that year um, where like they would even count down like three, two, one, go. And uh, my mom took a picture right at the like go. And I'm already out of the, fr- like, you can barely see me. And my brothers are still standing there smiling. <laughs> I was off to the races. Uh. But yeah, I won't be doing it this year because of quarantine. And I am um, trying to figure out a virtual way we could do it. That is not like just making my mom do work. <laughs> right, um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate everyone who's already written in asking about it and the suggestions. That means a lot. It means a lot to me. Oh, I, uh, <laughs> I, I think I stopped having Easter egg hunts by the time I was about six or so. <laughs> but my my dad, up until his death, every Easter would send me peeps, and he would usually forget to do this in the later years until like a couple days before Easter, and wind up spending like. $30 like FedEx overnighting me a package of peeps because he wanted me to have my Easter peeps. And uh, this was way after I had stopped appreciating eating peeps. <laughs> and right. it was, but it was just so sweet. I didn't want that to tell is. him to stop. I was like, oh, dad. That's <laughs> you gotta get your $30 worth <laughs> of peeps. It's actually like $3 worth, but the $30. Right. right. I know. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> see, I don't. I didn't like candy, so I successfully campaigned to replace the candy with money. Oh. Um, and I make and continue to make a lot of money on Easter. <laughs> Dang. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a big Easter candy fan, and we'll, we'll be talking about that some some more in a minute. Um, I also love dyeing Easter eggs. And we still do that as well. And, and a few years ago, my mom even bought me like, a, like way over the top splatter system. You put Ooh. the egg in and you like press it a oh, button and yeah, it's yeah. just like sprays out all the time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we fancy. We fancy. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did like a, like a, I had been saving for who knows why um, this Star Wars, like the prequel trilogy, like themed Easter egg dyeing kit. And oh, of course. My roommates and I did that, and it was pretty ridiculous, um, but great. Both. How did they turn out? Uh, you know, pretty, pretty janky, if I'm being honest. But, uh, <laughs> but we had fun doing it. They had some of those little, like, like paper, like sleeves or or um, right, yeah. like stages that you could put them on that were like the little character, like the little characters, mm. and so it was mm-hmm. pretty adorable and goofy. Please tell me there was an R2-D2 one. There had to have been. I'll, I'll see if I, I'll go through pictures and I'll, I'll see what I can find. This is very important the- information. <laughs> I need to know. I need to know. <laughs> There's definitely a Yoda one that, uh, that I think we saved, but yeah. Oh, I'm wearing my baby Yoda shirt right now. Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> Yay. Um, Easter is a big day for brunch, too. And I know a lot of places are doing takeaway or delivery brunches in Atlanta. And I'm going to assume probably wherever you are as well. If that's something you want to check out. Um, and we have done a lot of egg-adjacent episodes. Oh, we gosh. talked about that in our brunch episode. Mm-hmm. Complimentary bar snacks. 
deviled eggs, which is a popular Easter food here in the South. Um, the giant egg in the pierogi episode. And now we're doing Easter eggs, not eggs, but one day. Oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for it yet. Yes. It's a, it'll be a big one. It will. We, we've, we're doing a similar thing with potatoes. We've done a lot of things around potatoes, but not potatoes. Not potatoes yet. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just chipping chipping away at the uh, egg egg there. Um, and exactly. The, and the potato egg, both of those eggs. Yes, which came first, the egg or the potato egg? Mm. <laughs> we'll answer that question on another day because we have to answer this question. Yes. <laughs> Easter eggs. What are they? Well, uh, Easter eggs are either literal or figurative eggs uh, decorated in ostensible celebration of the Easter holiday, uh, which is itself a Christian feast day in ostensible celebration of the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ and like kind of like low key, like a celebration of the bounty of spring. If uh, Easter eggs are actual eggs, they might be hard-boiled or have the innards blown out, um, and the shells might be dyed or otherwise decorated. If they're figurative, they can be, oh gosh, anything. Um, uh, they, they can be other edible options like molded chocolate or marzipan or hard candy or cake or pastry. Um, all of those are common. Some inedible options like uh, molded plastic eggshells are sometimes filled with candy or money um, or other treats. Uh, or they can be treats unto themselves like a fabulous jeweled Fabergé eggs. Yes. I found more than one article lamenting the, the plastic egg oh. and how it was like the antithesis of what Easter was supposed to represent. And I really appreciated that I didn't have to search too hard to find multiple arg- arguments huh. for that. Yeah, I've always liked a plastic egg because it could be, it could hold anything. Yes. Oh, I do too. Like we, when we dyed eggs, we didn't usually hide those ones, but sometimes we did. We did both. We did both. Okay. So numbers, we do have some numbers. Mm-hmm. 180 million eggs are sold for Easter in the United States. Cool, like actual eggs, not like chocolate eggs or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Eggs, eggs, eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10 million people plan on dying some of these eggs. And since the invention and widespread adoption of plastic eggs for hiding, both of those numbers have gone down substantially. Really? See, I feel like it's yes. two separate issues. You dye some oh, eggs really? and you hide some plastic eggs. You, just, you don't want right. to hide the dyed eggs because then you're just going to crush your pretty dyed eggs. Anyway. Exactly. Anyway, uh, okay, this really surprised me. Easter candy outsells both Halloween and Valentine's Day candy. Really? Exactly. I would have thought it was Halloween for sure, but then both of us are big Halloween fans, so maybe that's coloring (laughs) our judgment there. Yes, yes. And I guess there's no, like, I was able to campaign for money to replace candy (laughs) for Easter, but I couldn't be, like, on Halloween, hey, (laughs) give give me me some some cash instead. Yeah, no, it doesn't work as well. (laughs) Nope. Um, One report from 2019 estimated Americans would spend $5.74 billion on food for Easter, and around $2.5 billion of that is estimated to go to candy. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So about half. Peeps. Let's talk about peeps. (laughs) Let's. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Very, very divisive food, I know. According to the company, they make 5.5 million peeps a day, and up to a third of all peeps sold are for decoration. They Their own website says that. That is wild. That is wild. I know. I know. I, I'm thinking I need to get some from my uh, previously mentioned Avengers-themed gingerbread 
D&D diorama. Oh my gosh, I want you to do that so much. And I can tell you from personal experience that peeps will last years, years, <laughs> unchanged. <laughs> That's, don't ask me how I know that. I, it's, you know, we all make mistakes. That's true. <laughs> I I totally hear you, Lauren. Um, on Easter, we collectively eat 1.5 billion peeps. Okay, eat or purchase? I, well, I think it said eat, but I don't know how they would know specifically <laughs> that we're eating them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there are so many flavors of peeps, at least 24. Who? I, I think the oddest flavor I saw was pancakes and syrup, uh, which I imagine would be very cloying, but I could be wrong. Oh, and speaking of dioramas, there's a peep diorama contest. <laughs> How have I missed this? Uh, maybe you could, oh. you could enter yours. You could enter <laughs> next year. I really appreciate your vote of confidence, Laura, but I'm going to set some <laughs> expectations. It's not a contest entry worthy, <laughs> but it would give people some laughs, I think. See, there you go. That's, you know, yeah. it's not always about winning. That's true. I I need to change. This is why people think I'm a Slytherin. <laughs> it's the journey that counts. Uh, the, <laughs> the first contest took place in 2004. When it comes to eating the chocolate Easter bunny, according to Chocolate Manufacturers Association and National Confectioners Association... 75% of Americans go ears first when eating them. I also saw one number that was 60 that was frequently reported as well. So it's still a majority. But yeah, go. It's, it's, a, it's up there. Right. Right. Um, 90 million of these chocolate bunnies are produced each year. Mm. Mm. Uh, 16 billion jelly beans are pumped out to meet Easter demand. According to huh. one chart I found, cherry is the most popular flavor. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Not quite okay. an Easter egg unto themselves, but they are sort of egg-shaped. Yeah. I bet it's a lot of decoration as well. Yeah. Oh, totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. We used to make those, my mom would make those cupcakes with like the green shredded coconut on top mm -hmm. and then the three uh, pastel colored M&Ms. Oh, Okay. So I think there is a lot of, like, decoration going on in the Easter dessert world. Sure. Okay, I love this. Apparently, in County Durham in England, there is an Easter tradition of egg tapping. Basically, two people hitting hard-boiled eggs together to see which one cracks first. I've read that oh. this is a thing in places. Just oh. It's just a thing. And I've never right heard of this. In. And it seems amazing. Please write and in. so messy. Oh. Yes. <laughs> just like, it just seems very silly, but I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and the eggs for, for this particular one, uh, they had to be submitted the day before. Um, and judges look for signs that the egg has been dipped in beer or covered in nail polish, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, I, I do love that for this one, it is so serious that they're like, no, no, oh. no, 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 no. You give us the eggs. <laughs> yes. We will make sure they haven't been tampered with. And That's then... Right. And then you can tap your eggs together. We can't undermine the seriousness of this <laughs> egg tapping 
competition, Lauren. Not at all. <laughs> Never. I would I would not dare. No. No, me neither. <laughs> so that's kind of a roundup of some numbers, some not so Easter egg based, but a lot of that candy ends up in Easter eggs. Sure. Yeah. It, it's Easter egg adjacent. I mean there there's also there are peeps that are shaped like Easter eggs. Are there really? Yeah, there's bunny-shaped ones, there's Easter bunny-shaped ones, and I believe there's egg-shaped ones as well. Whole wide world. I know. I didn't know about. Right? Hey. Wow. Well, <laughs> it's the rest of my day. Um, we do have a lot of history for you. Oh my gosh, we do. But uh, first, we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Um, and, okay, so so history of Easter eggs. The practice of decorating eggs and eggshells goes back 55,000 to 65,000 years. Um, like Ooh. the middle of the Stone Age. Uh, ostrich eggs with designs scratched into them were found in what's now South Africa dating from that period of time. Um, they, they were probably used for storing water. Um, and later they might have been intentionally colored bright hues like blues and reds. Those are the those are the oldest records we have because ostrich eggs are so much uh, bigger and sturdier than chicken eggs. But uh, but certainly by the fourth century CE, etched chicken eggs have been found that are thought to have been part of various holidays and uh, and of burials. Um, one was found in the tomb of a girl in Germany dating from around that time. The Easter egg tradition dates back to medieval Europe. Whether or not it originated with Christianity. 
that's doubtful. A lot of historians think that Easter and a lot of traditions associated with it originated with an Anglo-Saxon festival held to celebrate winter's end and the coming of spring and to honor the goddess Istra or Ostara or Eostra, the Germanic goddess of dawn and spring. Eating eggs was part of the festival, and there was also perhaps a tradition of burying them to promote fertility. However, I think there's literally one mention of this goddess in historical records, so... Yeah, this one is a complicated one to suss out, and a little little bit more on this later, but um, but okay, so the one historical historical kind of in scare quotes record that we have of of the goddess Easter um it's from the 700s CE and this um Christian English writer Bed Bed Bill uh I've heard different <laughs> pronunciations I'm not sure how to say it I apologize um but but yeah uh, he wrote about the worship of this Anglo-Saxon goddess Esther in times past previous to his um but yeah there's no other written record of her and Oh, more on her later. It's great. Okay. In the meanwhile. (laughs) In the meanwhile, at the time, Christian missionaries frequently held Christian Holy Day celebrations around the same time as pagan festivals with the end goal of converting folks to Christianity. And to make conversion more appealing, several pagan traditions were adopted and or adapted into Christian celebrations. So probably, maybe, this is where the Easter egg got its start? Uh, Yeah, uh, all of this in in medieval Europe. Um, Around the same time, a a roasted egg was also part of Jewish Passover, uh, uh, Seder traditions, um, uh, which is another spring holiday that is historically tied to Easter. So, like, maybe eggs came into Easter that way, too? Or? Right. Yeah. 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 Another theory, and it's one I know we have mentioned before, uh, has much more to do with stricter Lent rules that did not allow for the eating of eggs. No animal products at all. Uh, But you can't tell hens to stop laying eggs, so folks would collect and hard-boil the eggs for later. Since Lent builds up to Easter, it would make sense that the eggs would be handed out that day, often to those that couldn't afford meat, and that they would become associated with the holiday. Worth noting, decorated eggs have also been a tradition of Iranian New Year, which takes place on spring equinox for thousands of years, and it's also viewed as a symbol of fertility. Also worth noting, in languages like French and Spanish, the words for Easter come from the Greek or Latin word for Passover, so like you were saying, Lauren. As far as dying eggs for Easter, one of the first records of that came out of 1290 Britain and one Edward I. To celebrate Easter, Edward commanded that 450 eggs be decorated with gold leaf or dyed to hand out as gifts. Meanwhile, uh, folks in what's now Ukraine were developing traditional pisanki. I think I'm saying that right. Let me know if I'm not. Um, uh, th- these are uh, like wax-resist dyed eggs, um, originally uh, for, for pagan purposes, but around this time merged into Christian beliefs. Um, and yeah, on these uh, patterns of wax are, are applied, and, and then uh, dye is applied in layers, um, and then more wax, and then more dye, and then the wax is all melted off to reveal these intricate designs and and shading created by all of that layering. Um, And this is a folk art that continues today. Ooh, I love it. Mm -hmm. 13th century English townspeople gave their Lord of the Manor Easter eggs and bought them as Good Friday offerings at their churches. And just FYI, I went on a 
a very unnecessary rabbit hole about this whole Lord of the Manor thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> because I, I was I just wanted to know what I was talking about. So I was like, what does that actually mean? And apparently you can like still try to get that title today, but it's really difficult. Okay. <laughs> I found like modern legal blogs about this. And again, I had to remind myself this is a food show. <laughs> Time to stop looking up <laughs> how I can become a lady of the manor. <laughs> But anyway, the Vatican sent a young Henry VIII an egg in a silver case around Easter time towards the end of the 1400s. And this type of gift was called an egg silver. Later on in the 16th and 17th century, some records suggest that British folks were dyeing eggs and handing them out as gifts. Because the color red symbolized joy in that area back then, it was a popular choice, or possibly it was meant to represent the blood of Jesus Christ. A lot of the color and patterns were biblical in nature. Up until the 18th century, an area of Lancashire, uh, eggs were acceptable Easter Jews in the place of money. Hmm. And in some renditions of the story, or, or like we've talked about this a lot before, a lot of times frequently in Christianity, a lot of traditions kind of religious leaders step in and try to explain the religious reason behind why we were doing these things we'd already been doing for a long time. Uh, yeah, or, or or try to turn that tradition into a, a lesson in a, a symbolism and, and scripture. Yes, yes. So in some retellings, renditions, uh, the hard eggshell is the ceiling of the tomb that uh, Jesus was placed in and the cracking of the egg, the resurrection, Egg rolling, meanwhile, which we're going to talk to, we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, was allegedly meant to symbolize the rolling away of the rock from the tomb. Ah. Yes. Some sources suggested Martin Luther held one of the earliest Easter egg hunts, enlisting men to hide eggs from women and children. So that would have been in about the 1500s. Um, and certainly by 1682, there was in place a German tradition of, uh, of an Easter hare. Uh, like Rabbit, who who laid eggs for children to find. Um, it was written about that year in an academic essay. This brings us to the 19th century, and this is when people pivoted to giving Easter eggs to children. Historians think the impetus behind this might be shifting Victorian ideals, focusing on the importance of family with particular attention paid to kids. And then in tandem, there was an interest in older traditions. These things came together to make holiday traditions more kid-friendly, and one of these things being dying of Easter eggs. The Easter bunny was a part of this too. Easter egg hunts followed soon after. Uh, yeah, and all of that was over in the English-speaking world. But um, but meanwhile, it is also around this time, the, the early 1800s, that myths about the goddess Ostara started really cementing. Thanks to, of all things, the German Romantic Nationalist movement and folklorists like Jacob Grimm. In his 1835 book, German Mythology, he proposed, based on a bid, beds, oh, that guy's, based on that dude's mention, Grimm surmised, and he wrote, that, uh, that Ostara must have been a widespread goddess. And all of these other works over the next hundred years by other folklorists just developed her mythology, um, including a story that she rode in a chariot drawn by birds, and then later stories said that it was drawn by hares, and then some other people got confused later about the wording there and assumed that she had transformed the birds into hares. <laughs> it is one I understand. <laughs> wonderfully confusing. Um, but at any rate, the uh, the story of Ostara's creation of the Easter hare 
developed during the 18 and 1900s. And um, modern tellings often include the idea that um, that this goddess turned a bird into a hare to to save it. Um, and then in gratitude, it continued laying eggs or that she did it as a punishment. But such was the hare's grief uh, that she allowed it to lay eggs once a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the hare was really upset it wasn't a hare anymore? The hare was really upset it wasn't a bird anymore. Oh, okay. That, yeah, that makes more sense. No offense, hares, but like flying. Is- yeah, flying's pretty rad, I, I would assume. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, deep thanks to a uh, literary historian, uh, Stephen Winnick, over at the Library of Congress for looking into all of this. I I love it. And this brings us to a question I know you all have at this point. The Easter Bunny. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> what is up with that? <laughs> the residing theory is that German immigrants to America, specifically Pennsylvania, brought their tradition and story of an egg-laying rabbit called Osterhase or Oxterhaus. Apologies. I, you know, I took like five years of German, but it's been a long <laughs> time. Uh, this, uh, this may have happened as early as the late 1680s that this story made its way over to America. Um, but the first paper evidence that we have from here are our drawings from the 18 aughts of, of a hare uh, kind of leaping over a basket of Easter eggs. It makes sense with the whole fertility thing and rabbit's reputation of, you know, mating like rabbits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Kids would make nests hoping that the Osterhase would lay beautiful colored eggs inside of them. Uh, And I've read that often um, these nests were where the children would would put down their hats, like their little caps or bonnets, um, and make a nest out of that. And uh, maybe like maybe like fill it with colored flowers so that the hare could eat it and, and leave colored eggs. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> uh, the practice spread from from Pennsylvania across the country and also expanded to include not only eggs, but also candy and other gifts. The nests were replaced with baskets. Apparently, some families will leave carrots out for the Easter Bunny. We did this when I was a kid. Did you really? Yes, absolutely. As like you leave <laughs> cookies and milk for Santa and you leave carrots for the Easter Bunny. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I we we were in Ohio and Pennsylvania though, so maybe maybe it was a local thing. Yeah, maybe. Another story goes that Easter Bunny arose from a poor woman who would hide eggs uh, for her children to find on Easter. And while searching for the mysterious hidden eggs, the children saw a hare hopping around and believed that it had laid the eggs. Oh. Um. So, my parents made Easter baskets for us until I was in college. And mine was usually movies because, again, I didn't like candy that much. But uh, me and my dad, we both loved movies. And I got to say, I know I've mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I never once, not one single instant, (laughs) believed that the Easter Bunny was real. Um, And I, I, Tooth Fairy, yes, hook, line, sinker. Huh. Easter Bunny, my parents told me that. I remember being like, no, mm -mm." (laughs) I don't know what you're trying to, I mean, you can make me a basket. I really appreciate it, <laughs> but I know there's no Easter Bunny. Oh, wow. I think I think the Easter Bunny was the first one that I was like, Mom, Dad, like I was like five or maybe six. I was like, Mom, Dad, like y'all don't have to, don't have to pretend anymore with the Easter Bunny. And it's, <laughs> it's okay. Like I, like I you're appreciate it, but you're off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> 
I like even the vision I had in my head, and this could be the problem. I wasn't imagining like an actual rabbit. I was imagining like a man in a suit, you know, like a a huge rabbit. And the very idea of it freaked me out. And I just thought, no way. (laughs) No. Okay. All right. Well, we're we're getting into like Murakami Haruki territory here. So let's move. (laughs) Let's move on. (laughs) All right. Uh, The 19th century was also when we started seeing chocolate eggs in France and Germany. At first, they were hard to eat and a bit bitter, but with innovation, chocolate makers were able to produce the sweeter, hollow chocolate eggs we are more familiar with today. Yeah, uh, the the early 1800s were a time of uh, just amazing chocolate science innovations, um, because prior to then, people would uh, grind and cook whole cacao beans until they were uh, a liquid, a cocoa liquor or uh, liqueur. And and this stuff is like 53% cocoa butter, only like 47% cocoa solids. So it's really hard to make like a solid chocolate the way that we think of solid chocolates today. Most chocolate up until that time was was a drink rather than a solid food. And it's also kind of like, just like just like grainy and weird. But in 1828, a Dutch chemist by the name of a Konrad von Houten, who looked sort of like Willem Dafoe, by the way, he uh, he created this hydraulic press that would smoosh a whole bunch of the fats out of cocoa liqueur, um, or liquor, I'm not sure, whichever one, um, leaving a sort of pressed cake of mostly cocoa solids uh, that was only about 27% cocoa butter. So at that point, you could grind this, this cake into cocoa powder, which was pretty much the same stuff we know and use today, and which also could be treated um, chemically so that it plays nicer with liquids, um, as in with alkaline salts, which is called dutching or Dutch process uh, for this dude. You might have seen packages of cocoa powder in the store that say that they're Dutch process, and that's what it means. Yeah, uh, so at that point, you can combine this cocoa powder back with cocoa butter in order to create like a creamy and malleable final product that can, in fact, be molded into solid uh, bars or whatever. The first molded bar ever was uh, was supposedly produced in 1847 by an English family of chocolate makers, the Fry family. Yes, that fries. Uh, anyone who's not familiar with British confectionery is probably very confused Believe me, it's a whole thing. Um, uh, but yeah, they, they developed their chocolate cream bar, um, which has which is chocolate with some uh, creamy fondant in the center in 1866. And then the UK's first chocolate eggs in 1873. Uh, then in 1879, another chocolate maker, Rodolf Lint, uh, and yes, that Lint, developed conching, um, which is the heating and mixing and aerating process that develops the flavor and texture of chocolate, making it even easier and more affordable to produce, which really helped open up the chocolate industry. Uh, Meanwhile, Cadbury, Cadbury Eggs debuted in 1875. Oh, yes, arrival of fries. Uh, (laughs) These uh, these first Cadbury eggs were hollow and filled with sugared almonds, um, and their first decorated eggs had chocolate piping and marzipan flowers. Uh, They would introduce their milk chocolate eggs in 1905, which just really caught on. Um, And then the two companies, Fry's and Cadbury, would uh, would join forces in 1919. The early 19th century is also probably when we got edible Easter bunnies, probably invented in either Germany or America. The first were made out of a sugared pastry. Some of these bunnies had hard-boiled eggs inside them. I don't understand it, but but I appreciate it, you know? 
Yeah, it's like uh, Nick Cage at the end of Spider-Verse when he has the <laughs> Rubik's Cube. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly like that. I'm sure that that was the inspiration. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the first bunny-shaped chocolates uh, may have been produced in uh, Munich in the 1850s as that chocolate technology uh, developed. Uh, candy eggs had made it to America by the 1880s. And in 1885, we see the most opulent version of the Easter egg, the Fabergé egg. Um, yes. Tsar Alexander III had had the first made that year for his wife, Empress Maria, um, on Easter for their 20th wedding anniversary. And it was already a tradition in Russian Orthodox families to exchange decorated eggs after services on Easter. And so... Alexander ordered one from this kind of up-and-coming jeweler um, whose work Maria liked, uh, Peter Carl Fabergé. And the first one that this company made for them um, was a deceptively simple white enameled egg that opened to, to reveal a golden ball like a yolk, which itself opened to reveal a small golden hen, which itself opened to reveal a tiny diamond replica of the imperial crown and a ruby pendant. Whoa. I know, right? Huh. So um, are they saying the, the the hen comes first? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, wow. I mean, but it's all inside an egg, so. Oh. It's the oh, egg, no. it's the egg, and then the chicken, and then this is, the egg. This is the problem. It, <laughs> this is why we can't get to the bottom of that. I feel like that was a very, like, true detective moment for a second there. Oh, okay. The the egg is a flat circle. All right. (laughs) So over the next few decades, uh, uh, Alexander and then later his uh, his son Nicholas would um, every year commission these eggs, and they became ever more elaborate and super world famous. Um, And these days, these days they are often viewed as like a concrete symbol of the frivolity that, that doomed um, the Russian imperial family during the revolution of the 19-teens. Wow. Easter eggs. They are beautiful, though. Gosh, they're w- real pretty. They're yeah. nuts. That is that is my recommended rabbit hole uh, of the day. Hey. Yeah. Hey. I love it. <laughs> Uh, Towards the end of the 19th century, New Jersey drugstore owner William Townley invented Easter egg dye tablets in five colors. You just added water and white vinegar and voila. And I totally forgot that you added vinegar. And Um, that's, and it gives it that really particular smell. Yeah. 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 I totally forgot about that. They were enough of a success that Townley renamed his business Paws, registered trademark dye company. <laughs> he got the name from the Pennsylvania Dutch word for Easter, Pawson. Again, tying back to Passover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In 1876, the White House hosted its first Easter egg roll. Um, if you haven't heard of this, it's an annual event we have here in the United States held on Easter Monday, where families congregate on the White House South Lawn and the kids have an egg rolling race, um, among other activities. Uh, an event I, by the way, find hilarious and creepy because there's also someone dressed as the Easter Bunny, but like the costume is really weird. He's <laughs> just like standing around. It freaks me out. Is this the Easter Bunny you were always picturing when you were a kid? Hey, yes, kind okay. of. Kind of. Uh, Maybe I'm seeing. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Nevertheless, it is the largest yearly event at the White House. It's big enough that there's a lottery now to get in about 
30,000 people attend. Wow. Depending on the source, the tradition of taking hard-boiled eggs and rolling them goes all the way back to Andrew Jackson or James Madison and became a popular activity in Washington, D.C., frequently on Capitol Hill after what must have been one heck of a roll in 1876, Congress passed a law prohibiting that Capitol Hill grounds could uh, be, it could not be, quote, used as a children's playground. <laughs> um, then oh. President Hayes opened up the White House South Lawn for the festivities in 1888. He actually opened it before, but I think it got rained out. So oh, that was okay. the first year. Like official that it happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The first egg race didn't happen until Nixon in 1974, and it was preceded by games like egg picking, where you try to crack the shell of a hard-boiled egg with your own, but without cracking your shell, and egg croquet, oh, yeah, which yeah. is a game. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 you, egg, the, the egg egg tapping, like we were talking about yeah, before. Yeah. yeah, it sounds very, yeah. Um, and egg croquet, which is a game where you'd use a fan to move a hollowed-out eggshell And that sounds so fun to me. I'm so angry that I have not been making more use of my eggshells. Gosh, yeah, me too. Set up a whole thing here. Okay, we we need to as soon as we can be physically in the same place at the same time again. We need to do this. Yes. (laughs) Oh my god, I'm so excited. The tradition was put on hold during World War II, but President Eisenhower revived it in 1953. And apparently that year, it was a free-for-all. Here's a quote. By noon, the grounds were a dreadful mass of mashed eggs, gooey chocolate marshmallow, melting jelly beans, and picnic midden. Most unexpected (laughs) casualty? A press photographer lost both shoes. (laughs) What? Gosh. <laughs> what kind of day was he having? I, a very strange one, I assume. I assume. In 2009, President Obama formally invited gay and lesbian couples and their families to attend. Oh. Yeah. Uh, back to Easter egg dying and hunting. More and more middle class folks started adopting these things in the early 20th century as they built up more disposable income. It was even more adapted when Easter became a national holiday. So people had more time and more reason to do things like dye Easter eggs and do Easter egg hunts. And apparently, according to dictionary.com, Easter egg was a derogatory term for a woman who wore too much makeup in the 1920s. Ah. Yeah. Indeed. All Mm. painted up like an Easter egg. Sure. Uh, I guess. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's talk about peeps, Lauren. Oh, sure. Uh, They were a product of the 1950s and Russian immigrant to the United States, Sam Bourne, who founded Just Bourne, like it, a candy company. In the beginning, one single peep Took an entire 27 hours to make. Whoa. Yeah. Nowadays, it's about six minutes. Marshmallow. Hoof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know all about that. Yeah, see our marshmallow episode on, for, for more on that one. Mm-hmm. To save money and time, American chocolate maker Richard Palmer of R.M. Palmer Confectionery started making hollow chocolate bunnies as opposed to solid ones. I've actually never heard of this company, but I they're still up and running. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've definitely eaten things from, from that company, so, yeah. 
The history of plastic eggs is a bit murky. Uh, We do know that father and son team Irwin and Donald Wetter patented hinged plastic eggs in 1978. So people didn't have to struggle with finding the right halves, the right two halves, or are them coming apart at the wrong time. As a kid, I definitely preferred the, the hinged ones. Their company was also involved in the creation of that green plastic grass often found oh. in Easter baskets. Gosh, yeah. As as a young, slightly anal retentive Lauren, like really disliked that Easter grass because it got everywhere, oh, yeah. everywhere. It was chaos. Yeah. It was chaos in plastic grass form, and I didn't, I didn't approve. It was chaos. You are correct, and I didn't like if it like. It got so tangled in the center. Yeah. And you weren't sure if there was something in there, and it was like yeah. impossible. Oh. Oy. <laughs> rough, <laughs> rough times. <laughs> All right. Quick Easter egg pop culture aside. So, yeah. like, the, the pop culture term. I feel like we've talked about this in a previous episode, but— We'll, we'll recap it. You probably know, but these Easter eggs are something that a creator adds in for people to find. They're usually kind of like funny or a message. Uh, in, in movies or video games, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, the, though the first recorded instance of this term didn't take place until 1986, one of the first known Easter eggs was in the 1979 game Adventure, as seen in the book and movie Ready Player One, which itself is all about Easter eggs. Oh my gosh, yes. Mm-hmm. One of the most famous running Easter eggs is the Stan Lee cameo in every Marvel movie. An article at HuffPost claims that Steve Wright over at Atari coined Easter egg in 1980, and it was actually after this whole first—actually, uh, some earlier ones have been found, but it's, it's one of the first ones found in Adventure. The higher-ups sort of freaked out about it because it, it's just essentially, like, created by this guy. Um, and a kid wrote in— and said he loved it, and he was so excited, and the higher-ups were like, oh, this is terrible. But Wright convinced them that they should think of it as a good idea, because this letter they got from the kid, he was so excited, he found it. He found something um, that, like, wasn't supposed to be in the game that was a little, like, nod right. to, like, oh, man, like, you found this weird thing, yeah. Exactly. Like, finding an Easter egg. And he, according to this article, he didn't even know it was really a thing that he had coined until huh. pretty recently. So, hey... Also in uh, in the eighties, the um, the Cadbury Bunny audition commercials started coming out in nineteen eighty nine. Um, th- those those commercials where the Cadbury Bunny, which which is this clucking bunny, they're, they're, the Cadbury company is like holding auditions for the next Cadbury Bunny, and all kinds of animals show up. But <laughs> but but the kind of like like moral at the end of the commercial was for a long time that that like the bunny was the best at at the job, so it would always get the job. But these days, new bunnies are like crowned every year, and it's really sweet. Um, this year's winner is a dog from Ohio. The dog is named Lieutenant Dan because <laughs> it has lost its hind legs, but still gets around just fine in like a little doggy movement helper aid and. They, they put they put a little bunny ear, bunny ear headband on it, and it's real. It's just real cute. Oh, that is cute. Yeah, I did have some pet rabbits growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fluffy and Amber, and my brother's rabbit's name was Shaq. Shaq. <laughs> and Shaq was scrappy. Shaq got in a fight. Oh. with a dog. Oh my gosh! And, and like came out victorious. Wow. So. <laughs> How big was the dog? On the smaller side of medium. 
but medium. B- bigger than a rabbit for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Huh. But Shaq was like, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he had a scar, though. He he was intense. I've uh, I've never really met a rabbit that I didn't get the distinct impression, like, d- didn't want to eat my eyeballs. Like, all of them yeah. have been kind of aggro. Um, mm. So... I don't know. I've heard that some rabbits are delightful. Uh, I've, I, to be fair, I have not interacted with that many of them, um, and most of them mm. have probably been in like petting zoo kind of situations where the rabbit uh, is yes. probably just done, just done. Mm-hmm. And I get that, you know. So yeah, we both can understand. We can appreciate. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that um, that brings us to to the end of this our episode about Easter eggs. It does. It was a good one. <laughs> it's a fun one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I could have kept researching for a long time. I I really, really, really want to do an episode about Cadbury now. Mm. All kinds of all kinds of offshoots of research to do. Well, I love it when that happens. We've got oh. a future, <laughs> the whole world ahead of us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> absolutely. But in the meantime, we do have a little bit more for you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine tingling shows on AE Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with listener mail. Mail. <laughs> a fun body one though it might not have worked out in the vocal <laughs> department uh, yeah it was a good it was a good hop hop hippity hippity hop 
Yeah. Yeah. I, Lauren and I are having to develop uh, what I'm calling a podcast posture because mm-hmm. of the way our closet studios are set up. <laughs> so I really appreciated the chance to move for a second. To straighten up. Yeah. Like, like yeah. actually extend your spine in some way. Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes. It was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa wrote, Hi, ladies. Not to add to the cravings in this time of quarantine and halted travel, but on listening to the Bon Me episode, I had to share one of my favorite Toronto restaurants, Bon Me Boys. It's like if a Bon Me restaurant had a baby with five guys. Kimchi poutine or poutine. Um, it's incredible. I love it so much. I think he would too. Yes, I would. Oh, I want that so badly. Kimchi poutine I'd never thought of. I want that. I know. I know. We're going to, like, when this is all over, finally over, we're going to have so many food adventures to go on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really, really important food adventures. Whew. Yes, that is one of them. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Kenna or Kina wrote... I consider myself a pretty good cook and an okay baker. I've made pretzels, cakes, cookies, muffins, carrot cake, and several deep dish pizzas. But for some reason, bread eludes me. Multiple attempts with various bread makers have turned into inedible pastes of flour and gunk. Last time I tried to make bread, I used it to lure a friend over for an afternoon of writing, only to find after two hours that the delicious smell coming from the bread machine was, in the words of my friend, a sad piece of brick. The yeast, alas, was dead. Fast forward to quarantine 2020, two weeks since my last grocery run. My available vegetables are carrots, onions, and potatoes. Just carrots, onions, and potatoes. There might be a brick of frozen spinach in the freezer, but frozen spinach does not a meal make. So I get the bright idea to make potato gnocchi. I lay out the ingredients, potatoes, parmesan, butter, flour, and I'm just filling the pot up to start boiling potatoes when I read the step after boil, skin potatoes, and put them through a potato ricer. What, I wonder, is a potato ricer? And more importantly, where can I get one without leaving my house? A quick search of the drawers turned up no such thing, so I resigned myself to a soup made of carrots and onions until I remembered something wonderful, my grandmother's nuffles. Or... Knuffles? I'm going to go with nuffles. I hadn't had any in about 10 years because the only time my mom made chicken nuffle soup was when she was seriously trying to stock the freezer. It is far, far superior to chicken noodle soup, and the only problem was I didn't have a recipe. Neither, it turns out, did Google. I could not get a single English-language site that acknowledged that nuffles were a thing. Uh, The spelling here is K-N-U-F-F-L-E-S, by the way. I couldn't get a single German-language site with recipes when I searched Nuffles. I finally pulled out the nuclear option. I called my mother. Quote, it's just one egg, one cup of flour, and half a teaspoon of salt, she said. Uh, Because even now, at least a decade since either of us has set eyes on this dish, she had it memorized. I followed her instructions, made delicious tiny dough balls for very carroty soup, and enjoyed it for several days. I even posted the recipe to my blog, whereupon a friend told me, actually, that's just spätzle. Needless to say, after a discussion of what was and was not spätzle, uh, held mostly over Facebook, my mother weighed in on the issue. It's spelled niffle, she said, to my everlasting, now permanently enshrined on the internet, shame. That's why you couldn't Google a recipe. For my next trick of grain-based hubris, I'll try to make sourdough. After all, I have half a dozen probably dead packs of active dry yeast, 
three half-used bags of flour, and time. <laughs> there you go. I, I gotta say, I love nuffles. I am nipples. Uh, yeah, all of these words are amazing, and I approve of them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I've never heard of at least nipples. <laughs> so fun. Yeah. Oh, I need to go. I need to go look up some. We should do. We should do a Spitzel episode. Ooh. Yeah. Yes. I have had that so few times in my life, but every time I do, I'm like, this is so good. Yeah. Why don't I have it more often? Just tiny, tiny dumplings fried with onions. Pretty good. Pretty good. Mm. Turns out. Surprise, mm-hmm. surprise. Weird. In butter. Yeah, weird, huh? Mm. So delicious. Oh, my gosh. Now oh my I gosh. want that. The cravings. The cravings. Um, thanks so much to both of them for writing in. If yeah. you'd like to write in, we would love like to know what your Easter egg game is. If you are really good at decorating, what are you doing for Easter? What projects are you working on during quarantine? Mm-hmm. Um, all of the above. You can email us at hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month. No matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime, catch killer cases and more spine tingling shows on a and E crime central crave adventure, explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.